Happy Sunday. Good to see everybody. Uh, why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them who you're rooting for in the Super Bowl. We have a very loud Eagles fan. Oh, thank you, sir. Can I get a water too, Nathan, actually? Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. Um, if you're like me, I had to Google who is playing in the Super Bowl. Um, I wasn't really sure. Um, I'm, uh, I went to art school, so I don't really know all the sportsy stuff. Uh, my son, he knows all that stuff. So um, I'll never forget one time. So one, one year, uh, Colleen Seekins. So just as a side note, too, uh, Alex Seekins, who you see up here preaching a lot, uh, him and his wife, Colleen, who leads worship, they just had a baby uh, pretty recently, which is awesome. Uh, little Silas is his name. Um, so if you've seen him on social media, that's, that's where he's at. Uh, they'll be back pretty soon. But Colleen Seekins, this is, this is so funny. This is one of my favorite stories about her. Um, she was leading worship one time, and uh, it was Super Bowl Sunday, just like today. And she was leading worship, and her job was to transition to the meet and greet time, which you don't realize. We make it look easy sometimes up here, or sometimes we don't. Um, but it's hard. You're like, switch out of worship mode into something else, and how do you do that, you know? So Colleen was like, all right, I'm just going to ask a Super Bowl question. So what she meant to say, she finished worship, she prayed, and she's like, all right, turn to your neighbor and tell them who you're rooting for in the Super Bowl. What actually came out of her mouth was, turn to your neighbor and tell them who you're voting for. <laughs> and I think it was an election year. I think, I'm, like, I'm sure it was like a Trump election year, so everyone was like on edge anyway. And we, we were all wide-eyed, and she got wide-eyed. Then the lights faded off of her, and she just walked off stage. <laughs> it's like nothing she could do, like no saving it, you know. Tell your neighbor who you voted for. Um, uh, yeah, so it's Super Bowl weekend. It's a... It's a Pretty, pretty crazy weekend, a lot of crazy news. I won't even talk about that, a lot of weird stuff going on. Um, but it's good to be in the house of the Lord, and it's good to be here and coming around the Word of God. And uh, we're continuing our series on Galatians this morning. And as a side note, you know, even as a church leader, there's times where, where I sit back and I go, okay, Lord, are you with us? You know, like, I know it's our job to always say, the Lord is with us. Sometimes, just a little transparency, those of us in leadership, we sit back, we go, Lord, are you with us? Like, I, I need to know that a little bit, you know? And last week, we, we started our Galatians series as a teaching team. You know, it felt good to us and to the Holy Spirit that we start the book of Galatians. There were no lightning strikes or like, you know, mysterious messages on the wall saying, do the book of Galatians. We just thought, oh, this seems good to us, you know? And um, last week when we started it, uh, Right after the services, I heard about um, uh, an earthquake in Turkey, and, um, and it was pretty serious. If you saw that, and please be praying for Turkey, uh, there's a lot of, lot of um, destruction from that, uh, from that very big earthquake. Um, and I, I saw some footage of it. It was like a crack in the middle of Turkey. I don't know if you've seen that, but they flew a drone over it. And from the earthquake, it was this crack that was 100 feet deep and four or 500 feet wide. It was just massive. And it was, it was pretty awe-inspiring when you see it. And then I had a moment, I realized, oh, we just started Galatians this morning. And Galatians is written to an area called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. It's the same place. So I thought, Wow, we're starting a series, basically, of letter that Paul wrote to the area of Turkey on the day that Turkey has this massive earthquake. 
I don't know what that means other than it just felt like, okay, Lord, it seems like you are giving us insight. You are, you are with us. You're leading us. And those of us that are leading in the church, we do the best we can, but we're humans just like you and we're listening for the Lord. But then there's moments like that where you feel like, okay, Lord, you are with us. You're laying down this foundation. And it felt like even a call to prayer before we even knew what happened in Turkey. You know, for me, I thought, wow, Lord, thank you for giving us that, that insight. So the book of Galatians, I think that even the kickoff of it felt really special to me. Um, and if you were here last week, uh, you got my shotgun approach to Galatians. I covered the entire book in 40 minutes. So if you don't like our whole series and you just want to spend 40 minutes, great, you could go hit that. Um, that was a little bit of an adrenaline rush for me last week, trying to pound through everything. Today, we are pausing and we're going to do a deeper dive into the book of Galatians. So uh, if you missed last week, go check it out. But Today, we are starting in Galatians 1, chapter 1, and the title of my message today is The Offense of the Gospel. The Offense of the Gospel. Um, I had to look at that spelling and make sure I wasn't saying offense um, <laughs> on Super Bowl Sunday. No, the offense of the gospel. And Paul is very clear in this book. He's pushing back on a lot of different things. And if you remember last week, we talked about, really, if I was to give you a cheat code, a summary of the book of Galatians, it's this simple phrase that there is no other gospel. There's no other gospel. Paul is going, there is only one gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only one there is. And if you start messing with it, He's like, you lose what it is. You lose the gospelness of the gospel if you try to change anything in it. And he is very stern in his, in his warning to the Galatian, the churches in Galatia, and he's very stern in his warning to us as followers of Jesus. Do not mess with the gospel. Don't, don't tweak it. Don't change it. Don't make it more palatable. There's something about the gospel that is powerful, and there's something about the gospel that's offensive, especially to the world around us, and we can't avoid that. And Paul is talking, if you remember, uh, there's, a, there's a group called the Judaizers that come in after Paul, um, and they are kind of cleaning up after Paul's message of salvation by faith. And they're going, well, salvation by faith in Jesus, but also the law. And they're kind of coming in strategically after Paul plants these churches, and they're tweaking it. They're going, well, you should also follow the law, you know. And Paul says, no, don't listen to the Judaizers. Uh, he calls them uh, the circumcision party, which again is not my kind of party, um, the circumcision party. And uh, he's saying, beware of them. These people are coming in. They're looking to change the gospel. And Paul's main warning to the Galatian church and his main warning to us is this, please build your life around the gospel of Jesus Christ and don't make it about human effort. And every other religion, every other philosophy, that's why there's only one gospel. Every other religion and philosophy is how to, you know, 10 steps, even in the secular world, 10 steps to be more successful and to never have an anxiety attack again, you know? And you're like, is that really true? You know, like, and then religions too. How do you reach God? Over here on the human effort side, Every religion sits there. You've got to work hard. You've got a very distant God who doesn't care very much for you. And you've got to clean up your act if you have any choice or any chance of getting into heaven. That's the human effort side. And Paul says, and then there's this other beautiful side. It's the Jesus side, the gospel side. 
And it's not about how perfect you and I are. It's not about what we did to attain salvation. It's that Jesus paid for it 100%. 100% justification by faith. And he said, and that should lead us into Holy Spirit sanctification because the Holy Spirit is the law written on our hearts that was prophesied about a long time ago. So we have this beautiful thing that gives us conviction. I know sometimes it doesn't feel beautiful, but it is. We have guardrails in our life. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's called listening to the Holy Spirit. And that sanctification in our life leads to really beautiful community around us. And that's what the whole message of Galatians is, the beauty of the gospel infiltrating everything. So with that as a backdrop, let's dive into Galatians chapter one, first one. If you got your Bibles, turn to it. If you got your phones, I'm reading out of the ESV. Um, and let's read. Galatians chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, But through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a pretty classic intro for Paul. He likes to say grace and peace, and there's a structure for him saying hello to people and starting a letter. It's actually very common in uh, the time that he lived in in Roman times to write a letter kind of similar to this. Um, But Paul's letter, the one thing when scholars read these and they compare them to other epistles, this section of greeting in Galatians is pretty short. So if you remember, the tone of Galatians is very different than the, co- t- the tone of Philippians that we just studied. In Philippians, Paul's like, you guys are so awesome. I'm so thankful every time I think about you. You know, it's like, it's like his favorite child. Like, you could just see Paul just like beaming about the Philippians. He's got some warnings for them, but he's genu- genuinely very thankful for them. Uh, the Galatian church is very different, he says. I am astonished that you so quickly deserted him who called you in the grace of God. Later on, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I saw a translation of that that said, oh, Galatians, you lovable idiots, who has bewitched you? Um, and th- this, is, this is the tone of Paul. I mean, Paul is very, he's very intense in this letter. So this intro like, kind of like Paul's just like scratching it out real quick, giving them a quick intro, and then he dives right into the meat. This is what he really wants to say to them. Starting in verse six, he says this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Or the word in the Greek is anathema. It means devoted to destruction. Paul's using some very harsh language here. Um, really, if we were to translate it into the English of today, he would say, if anyone is perverting or twisting the gospel, let them be damned. It's really harsh language. 
And then he says it again right afterward. In case you weren't offended enough the first time, he says it again. He's like, now I tell you again, they are anathema, devoted to destruction. And he's saying, don't mess with the gospel. He's going, look, I don't care if an angel shows up and it looks amazing and mysterious and you're amazed by it. And if they preach you a different gospel, don't believe it. There are some false gospels out there that started with the arrival of an angel of light. Um, Paul's going, don't trust that if an angel says it or we. So even if me, Paul, if I show up to you and I tell you, oh, you know what? I've matured past the gospel a little bit. I have a different one for you. He's like, do not believe it. Do not listen to me or anybody else that tells you any other gospel. Lock this thing in. It is justification by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ who accomplished everything on the cross for you and I to have right relationship with God again. Paul's going, do not walk away from that. Then he continues. Verse 10. This is kind of the main verse for us today. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That word revelation is actually the word apocalypse, which we use it very differently, but apocalypse just means revelation, this revealing. The apocalypse in the Bible means the great revealing of Jesus at the end of days. Um, but the revelation of Jesus Christ, it was given to him, and he's very clear. He's like, the gospel is not given to me by man. It's not something that men came up with. It's not like we got together and said, what's a cool thing that we could all build a new religion on? Well, let's have this thing about Jesus and death and resurrection. Paul's going, no, it didn't come from man. We didn't even really see it coming. Those of us that were Jewish scholars, that there was so much, um, uh, so much prophetically given in the Old Testament toward Jesus, but even we didn't see it coming. He's going, this is not a gospel of man, from man, about man. It doesn't please man. This gospel that we follow is pretty offensive to the world around us. And Paul's main point is this, and I've got three points for us when it comes to the gospel today. Number one, the gospel isn't safe. The gospel isn't safe. So this group, the Judaizers, the, um, the, 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 um, the people that Paul is talking to that you know, he's really trying to push back on, there is two sides to this issue. First is the religious side, right? So the Judaizers, they, they are Jews by, you know, by nature, and they follow the law, and so they're trying to help make this a little bit more integrated into Jewish culture, and they're trying to make it maybe a, a sect of Judaism. It's not just this brand new thing with Jesus. No, it's kind of a sect of Judaism. So they're doing that, and Paul pushes back on that really hard in Galatians, but there's something else happening in the background. In Roman times, um, at this time in particular, uh, Judaism had connected a little bit with, with the Romans, and there was tension between them, and the Romans were very, very sensitive to any religion that exalted itself up above their government, above Caesar. Anything that was like threatening to their political power, they were very threatened of. 
And Judaism and Roman culture had found this truce in this season where they didn't really like each other. And the Romans weren't very nice to the the Jewish people at the time, but there was a bit of a truce going, okay, as long as you pray for Rome, we'll kind of let you do your thing, you know? And so Judaism was kind of a safe place to be. Judaism was kind of covered by the Roman political structure at the time. And Paul says this, it's very interesting. In Galatians 5, 11, he says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So he's saying, if I'm just going with the flow and I'm just saying this is another sect of Judaism, why am I being persecuted? He's using this this. this idea that he's being persecuted as something to show and prove to them that this is something different than just the normal Jewish culture. There was something brand new that was going on. He's like, if I, if I had removed the offense of the cross, then that would be a sign that I've changed the gospel. He says it even clearer in chapter 6, verse 12. He says this, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh, again, he's talking about the Judaizers, who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So the Judaizers are coming in, and yes, they're trying to integrate it in. There's, yes, there's this sort of religion that's seeping into it, but there's something else happening as well. The Judaizers are trying to make the gospel a bit safer. They were, they were thinking, if we just tell the Romans this is, a, this is just a part of Judaism, then they're not going to persecute us. And Paul is going, you cannot get rid of the persecution that happens when you follow Jesus. You just can't. Later on, he talks about it, the scars on his body. In, uh, in Acts chapter uh, 13 and 14, it talks about Paul and his missionary journey in Galatia, and he um, gets punished. He gets stoned, beaten nearly to death, and he survives that. Uh, Galatia is also the place where he met Timothy, which was where, you know, that, that deep connection between Paul and Timothy. Uh, so it was a, this special place. But Paul, later on, when he's referring to uh, this persecution, he says, I am carrying in my body the marks of Jesus. He's literally telling them, I have scars on me from being beaten nearly to death that I am so proud of because it represents a persecution that happens from the gospel. So the gospel is not safe. I remember years ago, um, my wife and I, uh, we did missions work in Cambodia, and I've talked about that a lot. And and I remember before we went to Cambodia, I was really excited. I was going, man, I can't wait to get out there, you know. I was surrounded by Christians that were praying for me. And all I was thinking about is like that moment when I present the gospel and people go, yes, I want to follow Jesus, you know. And the freedom that happens and like we were praying for revival in Phnom Penh. We were doing all this stuff. And, and then we got out there and as it often is, you know, once you get somewhere, it feels a little different than it did just the idea of it, you know? And we got there, and I remember my wife and I were like, wow, we're really uncomfortable. Um, Not only physically is it uncomfortable, because it's uh, 95 degrees and 1,000% humidity uh, in Southeast Asia, um, but just culturally, it's very different. And um, 
And it was really beautiful. I mean, we did see churches, and there was just such a difference. When we saw Christians versus non-Christians, there was such a joy on the Christians in Cambodia. And um, one, one time, we, we had kind of gone to a different uh, city from Phnom Penh, and, and I was teaching English. It was kind of like that easy way into the culture, and people wanted to talk to an American. They were like, I want to work on my English. They speak Khmer there, which I don't speak much Khmer. Um, and uh, so I was teaching English, and I was, you know, having conversations with them. And, and at some point, I started talking about the Bible. Uh, like you do when you're doing missions work, you're just going, where can I enter the Bible? Where can I get the, you know, the gospel in there? And so we started talking about the Bible, and a few of them asked some questions. And after a while, there were so many questions. I said, hey, if any of you want to do like a Bible study and learn more about um, the Bible, I would love to do that with you. And like three or four guys raised their hand. And I was like, great, let's meet next week at this time, you know. And I bought a Cambodian Bible. It's in Khmer. And I was trying to, I was asking local people, like, how can I highlight things in English and then highlight it in Khmer so that I can do one-to-one, you know, and walk them through. And I was going to walk them through uh, one of the Gospels. And I was going to walk them through Romans, which Romans has what's called the Romans Road. It's like a great way to walk people through salvation. So I was doing all that, and I was dutifully preparing all that, and week after week, we were meeting, and it was awesome, and they were asking more and more questions, and I was getting really excited. And, and then one day, they were asking so many questions, and they were like right there. I was going, oh, man, I just got to ask at this point, you know? And I said, um, so do any of you want to start following Jesus after we've talked about all of this stuff? You know, do any of you want to follow Jesus? And I was expecting they would be like, yes, I'm in, you know? And all of them just got real quiet and nobody said anything. And um, one of the guys basically said, well, Ryan, for you in America, you could become a Christian and maybe it has a little bit of an impact on your life. He said, but for those of us here, that means my family disowns me. He said, that means I, I'm, I might actually get physically persecuted. And he's like, I don't know I don't know if I could say yes to that. And it sounds so silly, but it was one of the first times in my life that I came crashing into this idea that Jesus talked about very clearly. Count the cost of following me. The gospel is beautiful and it's powerful and it's wonderful and it's the thing that brings new life and transformation. Any exchange that you make from here on earth to Jesus is well worth it, but there is an exchange that happens. And we do a disservice as a church when we downplay the fact that Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to die to yourself. And it's not that that meeting knocked me down or removed my faith at all. It was just very sobering. And I realized there is a counting of the costs that we have to do. And before we think it's just for other cultures and other countries, Let me just tell you, I don't think things are getting any easier here in America. I think if our hope is wired together with no persecution, I think we're going to be sorely unprepared for that moment when persecution does come. And it's not bad news. This is the thing. Jesus said, hey, you should expect this. This is part of of the deal. This is part of following me, is it's an offense to people. Paul says the gospel is the stench of death to those who are passing away. We're going, look, there is something about the gospel that does not compute with the world. It can't. 
brings us to the second point. The gospel isn't popular. The gospel's not popular. Paul says again in Galatians 1.10, he says, For am I now seeking approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He's going, look, I would not be a follower of Jesus if I was trying to not offend people. The thing he's really upset with, uh, with Peter about, and there's a section in here where you realize Paul and Peter have this really strong disagreement. And Peter, I think in so many ways, I've always connected so well with Peter. Like this guy who's just like, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. He's like gung-ho one second, and then he's like falling away from the Lord the next second. Like you just see this in Paul. He's going, tell me to, fo- to, to follow you out on the water, Lord. And he walks on water to go meet Jesus and then loses faith and starts sinking. And there's this real poignant story right before Jesus is crucified. Peter's telling Jesus, he's... he's telling him with his words how devoted he is to him. And he's going, no matter what, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you to the ends of the earth. No matter what it costs, I'm with you. And what happens? Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter goes, no way. No way. I I just told you, I'm so super devoted to you. I'll never fall away. And then suddenly... Jesus gets carried away. Suddenly, that idea of I'll, ne- I'll never fall away from Jesus became real. He's like, this is not fun. And three times, just like Jesus said, he denied him. He denied knowing Jesus. And the thing is, is Peter did it not with like powerful people. It's not like he went to Pontius Pilate and said, I deny, deny Jesus. He's sitting around a fire with just regular Joes that are going, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And he's like, nope, not me. There's even that one account that he like curses to just like prove it. Like, I'm gonna cuss just to show you how much I don't follow Jesus. And immediately after the third time, Peter breaks down. And you would think, lesson learned, right? Like, okay, that was the last time Peter did anything like that. From that point on, he was super devoted. And then Paul talks about in Galatians, he said, I confronted Peter to his face. Why did he confront him to his face? Because Peter was sitting and eating with Gentiles and the Judaizers came in and he got embarrassed and he stopped hanging out with the Gentiles and he moved with the Judaizers. It's almost like I really picture it like, like the lunchroom in the high school. You know, it's like you've got the cool group and you picture Peter, he's like sitting with the nerds that he actually likes, you know? He's like, I like these guys. Then the cool kids walk in and he just like gets off the table. He's like, oh, never mind. I was just accidentally sitting there. I'm gonna go hang out with you guys. Like, that's literally what Paul did. Like, and it was right around eating, you know? He's like, I'm not gonna be seen eating with Gentiles when I have the Judaizers there. They're like the mean girls there. Like they're the, the cool crowd, you know? And Peter goes, That is not in line with the gospel. It wasn't just lame that Peter wanted to be popular or accepted or whatever it was. Paul goes, look, you cannot be seeking popularity and the gospel at the same time. He's going, Peter, this is just antithetical to the gospel. You can't do that. For those of us that follow Jesus, when we talk about it and people think less of you, I'm sorry, that's part of it. People think you're a little crazy, that's part of it. 
Now, for those of us who have been in the presence of Jesus and we've accepted Jesus, we walk in it, we know it's worth it, right? When you're in that place where the Holy Spirit's moving, you're like, this is so much better than anything the world has to offer. But you have to remind yourself of that in seasons where preaching the gospel is not popular. And our culture will never celebrate the gospel. I'm sorry. If we're looking for the world to say, actually, the gospel's cool now, we're actually in trouble. <laughs> like, that's not good. That means some, somewhere in there, we've changed it to be more palatable for the world, and that is not okay. Paul's like, do not change this gospel. He is very strong on that. So the gospel's not safe. The gospel's not popular. I think in the end, and this might feel like a little bit of a left turn, but I feel like this is from the Lord for us today. The gospel is grounded in the fear of the Lord. I know it's not a phrase that we love to talk about, but it's true. It really is true. Proverbs 1.9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of real knowledge and understanding. Our world will never be wise, just to let you know. If they don't have a healthy fear, awe, respect for the Lord, they're never going to be wise. They're going to become, become increasingly foolish. And I think we've seen that happen. So many things have happened recently that I would, like 10 years ago, would go, oh, that'll never happen. You're like, oh, here we are. Here we are. For the culture, for the people, for the follower of Jesus that does not have an awe of the Lord, you are losing out on the wisdom that we need for the times that we live in. And I know this is a little heavy. I, I told Nathan today, I said, I felt like I kind of like upset the apple cart and was like, I'm so sorry, everybody. But I just, I feel like that. I feel that to me, like, I'm so sorry to me. Like, these are the seriousness of the times that we live in. We cannot please the Lord and be afraid of man at the same time. We can't do that. The fear of the Lord pushes out the fear of man. The fear of the Lord pushes out the fear of man. And when you understand who God is, that there is this sobering reality that God created everything that we see with just words, that's crazy. That's insane. That's powerful. It should freak us out a little bit, right? Like we're so used to and the gospel. Let me tell you, it is. It's the love of God. The gospel is so clear on that. God so loved all of us. But sometimes I think we desensitize our fact, the fact that God is in our midst, even right now. And woe to us who forget the power of the Lord in our midst. Woe to us if we forget how powerful God is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Isaiah 8, it says this. I, I love this. It says, Do not call conspiracy all that the people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Yikes, I don't like that word. I wish it was softer. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, which 
Jesus in Matthew 21 talks about that, that, that stone of stumbling. But I love that he says, don't fear what the people around you fear. Don't get caught up in the fear of man. Don't get caught up in the fear of the times. Get caught up in the fear of the Lord, which what does that lead to? He will become your sanctuary. I love that. Like when we have the proper understanding of the awe and amazement of the Lord, that feeling of there's something just so big that's there and so powerful. And the glory of God is not something to be trifled with. It is not. When we understand that, then we have wisdom. And our fear of man starts to go down. And our fear of the times starts to go down because we understand the fear of the Lord. And I think for us today, this is what I want to say. Yes, Jesus is good. Yes, Jesus is kind. Yes, Jesus is patient and long-suffering with all of us. He doesn't will that any should perish. He is the embodiment of love. It is beautiful, the gospel, that he would come to, to earth for you and I to, to, to pay the ultimate price, to be connected with us again. He loves us. He's kind. He's lowly of heart. He's gentle of spirit. This is who Jesus is. But he is also the lion of Judah. He is also the one that's going to come back one day and it's going to be very loud, let me just tell you. Like, it will shock all of us. Nathan and I were talking, he was like, you know, when we hear the trumpets, we think we're gonna be like, yeah, Jesus is back. He's like, no, all of us are gonna go, holy, like, what is going on? What's that sound? It's gonna scare us. It's gonna sober us up in a minute. And any fear we had about our job and our 401k and our health, and all of that disappears in a moment. And everything is ordered and set right. And every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. This is where we're at. And in the in-between time that we find ourselves in right now, sitting in the pew or hanging out up here, our job is to cast our mind to that day that Jesus is gonna come back and that means that any persecution we get from the gospel, it's worth it. It's fine. We know that one day it's going to be set right. Any unpopularity or friends that say, we can't hang out with you anymore because you're Christian, you go, okay. Jesus said, you count the cost. But we have to be a people that know it's worth it, right? Anything that we give up here, it's worth it. It's worth it. Let's 